Well, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, when we say that, what we mean is that your name is other than, holy, set apart, unlike anything we've ever known in this created universe. You are holy. We desire to keep your name holy. So hallowed be your name. Lord, we say your kingdom come. And when we say that, what we mean is that we want your kingdom values, your kingdom power, your kingdom rule, your kingdom peace to break into this world, into this domain of darkness, where that light and truth and love would break in this morning. Lord, your will be done. Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. When we say that, we mean that we want you to rule here with absolute sovereignty like you do in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, all of this is about you. So would you speak by your spirit for the glory of your son through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. C.S. Lewis, he said once that joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. I've been thinking a lot about joy this week, thinking about um, how much I chase it, how much we all chase it, don't we? We are all constantly on a, a journey looking for Joy, And I think what that tells us is that our joy is not complete. It's missing something. You could say our joy in this world right now is incomplete. It's missing something. I used to think before I got saved, before I became a Christian, I used to think that Jesus uh, was incompatible with my joy, with my desire for joy or pleasure. See, I used to think Jesus was sort of this cosmic killjoy, that what he existed to do was to take everything that was fun. To, to tell me what I couldn't do, to tell me all the things that I'm not allowed to do in this life. And, and so for that reason, I just resisted the Lord for a long time as a, as a child, and I didn't want anything to do with his sovereignty in my life. But then I realized something. I realized that Jesus actually is more concerned for my joy, for your joy, than even you are. Did you know that? He, he is very concerned for and focused on and, and, and very intent on building your joy to this place that he calls complete joy. Complete joy. Jesus talks about joy a lot in John's gospel, and he, he uses this word full or complete. Running over is the idea. I just want to show you a few passages, and I want to kind of whet your appetite as to what Jesus is talking about here in these passages. Let me just read a few. John 15 Verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And listen, that your joy might be full. What is full? What's full joy? I want that. What is that? I want it. What's full joy? Jesus seems concerned about it, and he's concerned that the disciples would have it, that they would get it, that they would obtain it. This full joy. One chapter over, John 16, 24. Jesus says, until now, you've asked me nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Again, what, what is that? What is this full joy? How do I get it? How do I have it? Jesus, in his famous high priestly prayer in John 17, where he's praying to the Father, 
He says this in verse 13. He says, but now I'm coming to you. And these, he's speaking to the Father. I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they, that's the church, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That they may have my joy fulfilled. Fulfilled. Full joy. Complete joy. What is this joy that Jesus is talking about? One more. Here we see John the Baptist tuning into this idea. His disciples come to him and they say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? He's, he's, he's discipling more people than you are now. His show down the road seems to be getting more traction. And here's what John the Baptist says in return. He says, the one who has the bride of the bridegroom, or pardon me, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So John understood this idea, John the Baptist, and then just one more, the Apostle John in his letter, 1 John 1, 4, he said, we are writing these things so that our joy might be complete. So what is this complete joy? What is this total joy? What is this full, fulfilled joy? And how do we get it? Why am I bringing this up right now? Well, we just finished a series, or we're finishing, I should say. We were meant to finish last week this vision series about Philippi Church and what it looks like for us as a community, a gospel community, to be transformed by the gospel. And we talked about the importance of hearing and believing the gospel. We talked about the importance of speaking and declaring the gospel. And last week, Pastor Ryan talked to us about living and applying the gospel in community. And so that was going to be the series. We're going to put a bow on it and move on to the next series. But uh, this, morning, or this, this Monday, I woke up Monday morning, and I was feeling a serious absence of joy. You ever have that? Tends to happen on Monday morning. You notice that? Like, okay, we just preached three weeks on the gospel and how it transforms a community and how it transforms people. And I believe that. And I believe that the gospel is what activates mission and the gospel is what creates this body that we're all living within here as the church. And I, I believe that. And I believe that the gospel means Jesus is going to come back and he's going to rule and he's going to reign and he's going to recreate. And I believe in the resurrection that Jesus is going to, that he's risen from the dead and he's going to raise us from the dead, give us new bodies. I believe I believe all that. I believe in heaven. I believe in the riches of the future life that we have with Jesus. But the problem with all that is all that's later. You ever feel like that? That's all like future joy. Like, yeah, Jesus is going to come back. Great. What about Monday, though? <laughs> like, is the God? And so this is the question that I felt the Lord pressing me this week to just spend an extra week in this series asking. And the question is simply this. Is the gospel good news for today? Or is it all just future? Is it all just, is it all just pie in the sky? Like, yeah, someday things will get good. But for now, my body's rebelling against me and my kids are rebelling against me. And gravity seems higher than it is, was yesterday. And you, you know what I mean? Is the gospel good news for today? And I think this is a question that if we were honest as Christians, we would all say we wrestle with. How is it good news for my joy today? How is it that there's joy in this message of what Jesus did today? And see, here's the problem. Um, what the, the problem is, is that Christians don't, I think they don't believe that there's really joy today. So they change the nature of the gospel to try to make it more joyful. There's a couple ways this has been done in our particular culture in the West, in Western evangelicalism. 
One of those ways is called the prosperity gospel. And I think subconsciously, some people um, went, you know, the gospel just doesn't seem like it's that good of news for today, so maybe we should change it a little bit. Maybe we should adopt this theology that says it's always God's will to heal It's always God's will that we are healthy and wealthy and prosperous and fat and sassy, right? That that would make the gospel better news. How do we get that? Well, we just have to have enough faith and give money to Kenneth Copeland or whoever the idiot is that's stealing money from people, okay? That's the prosperity gospel. It's an attempt to update the gospel, to make it good news. The gospel is good news for your bank account. You just need to believe God for better buildings, in bigger budgets. And if you have enough faith, the gospel becomes good news for you now. But what if you don't get a raise? Well, you just don't have enough faith. Hogwash. Garbage. It's an attempt to make the gospel good news now, and it's changing the nature of the gospel. You see? Did Jesus have health, wealth, and prosperity? <laughs> he was homeless. He was murdered. And the Father led him to do it. So talk to me about health, wealth, and prosperity. There's a new version of the prosperity gospel. It's a little less sinister, um, a little more, um, it's, I think it's the primary gospel we see coming out of the Western evangelical world. It's, it's been called the new prosperity gospel. And this gospel doesn't say you can have health, wealth, and prosperity if you just believe. This gospel says you can have health, wealth, and prosperity if you just do the right things. And we teach our kids this, right? We teach them to be little legalists. If you want to have a good marriage, you just need to not date until you're 26, you know, and read I Kiss Dating Goodbye 55 times, you know, and then you'll have a good marriage. If you want to have good, you just need to go to school and you need to be responsible and you need to, if you give God 10%, he's going to give you back, right? Test the Lord. Okay. The problem with all of that is not, God is generous. God is generous. Okay. And, and God does bless us when we make good decisions, but that's not what makes the gospel good news. What makes the gospel good news is not if I do the right things, I'll get the right things. You know what that's called? It's called legalism. If I do what God wants me to do, then God owes me. God, you owe me a good marriage because I waited. God, you, you owe me a good job because, um, you know, I, I, I honored you with my tithe and with my tenth. So, so you have to bless me. That's legalism. My point here is that all of these false gospels are joy-driven. Do you notice that? They're an attempt for us to change the nature of what the good news of our message that we believe is um, in order to make it more good news for today. The problem is, is that that's not what makes the gospel good news. The good news is not, yeah, I can live a healthy, comfortable life. That is not, you won't find that in the New Testament, okay? The good news of the gospel has to be something deeper than that. So this is what I want to run after this morning. What makes the gospel good news for now, for today. And in order to do this, I need to unpack some thinking with you guys a little bit. We're not going to be rooted. Normally, we just we go through one passage. So bear with me this morning. We're going to take a little bit more of a topical approach here. Um, I want to, to, to sort of circle around this idea of deep joy. Uh, and in order to do that, I need to, to, to walk you through some things you already know. Okay? Joy has levels. Joy has levels. Okay, think in your head, maybe picture a plow. Okay, if you were to plow some dirt, you could set that plow to different levels, level one, two, three, and four. Um, So imagine that your joy is a plow, and at all times you're plowing different levels in that plow. Here's here's maybe a more helpful illustration. Imagine that your joy is a tree called a joy tree. 
Imagine that your joy is a tree, and that joy tree has a root system. And what allows that tree to grow and to be stable and to be thriving, to be full, is the, dependent on how deep the roots of that tree go. And there are different levels. And all of us, every human being, every person in here with a face, um, is, is literally rooting their root system at different levels of joy all the time. So I want to unpack for you what those levels are, and I think it's going to hopefully help us out as we understand what complete joy is. So here's level one, if you're taking notes. Level one, we're going to call this shallow joy. Shallow joy. Here's what shallow joy is. Shallow joy is the material things. Shallow joy is the short-lived experiences. Last night, I just really wanted to shallow joy. So I drove to Dairy Queen, and I noticed as I was in the parking or in, in the, the, the drive-through of shame um, that, <laughs> that they had a pumpkin pie blizzard. So yes, I did. I ordered it, and, and I indulged, and it was great. And I ate the whole thing before I got even, even got home. You know why? Because if I walked through the door with that thing, my kids would kill me, right? Where's mine? Okay, so I, I, ate, I ate it quickly, brain freeze and all. I don't care, right? Brain freeze is worth it. And at some point, you're not even enjoying it anymore, right? But you're just like, it's, I just have to keep eating it. Oh, there's another nice crunchy piece of pumpkin pie. Okay. This is shallow joy. They're not necessarily all evil. There are sinful shallow joys, and there are just shallow joys. But they're, they're, I would put them this way. They're easy in, easy out. Easy to get, but then they're quickly gone. And, and a lot of our economy, a lot of our world right now is really centered around these shallow joys. And you pass them every time you drive down the street. There's Dutch Bros with shallow joy. Man, having a rough day. 65 grams of sugar would help. Yep. Yeah, give me the tall one. Okay, and add some extra, you know, caramel. Uh, these are shallow joys, right? They're, they're just easy to get. They're easy to lose. They're not necessarily a bad thing because here's the thing, guys. God created those. He made taste buds. He made stomachs. He made senses. He made the ability for you to go skydiving and feel alive for 10 seconds, right? He made the, all of these things. These are good. God made them. He's the creator of them. He's the originator of them. But there's a problem with them. What's the problem? They're gone so fast. You know, it's the, that's, it's the, the, the saddest sound in the world is the, the, your, your spoon hits the bottom of the ice cream tub. It's, that is why Jesus came to die. No, okay. To, <laughs> It's gone. Like, that's the problem with these shallow joys. They're easy to get. They're easy to lose. That's the reality. The problem with these shallow joys is, is um, they tend to own us, don't they? See, they go from being something that we enjoy to something that sorts of take over us. Uh, put it this way. God wants us to have pleasure, but God doesn't want pleasure to have us. And see, that's the problem is, is because they're so easy to get, we tend to just live at that level because they're the easiest ones to get. So if you hate your life, then you just live to drink a beer at the end of the day or go to bed or watch Netflix or have the weekend. Those are shallow joys, right? And, and, and those, those things can start to own you, consume you. The parasite of sin, and sin is a parasite. You know what I mean by that? It means it lives off of the life of something else. The parasite of sin, it lives within these shallow joys very easily, so these good things become bad things very quickly and typically when they rule us. So imagine your joy tree. Um, so much of your joy during the week and my joy during the week is rooted at this first level. 
And, and these joys are very attractive because they just sort of get us through the next 10 minutes. Okay, just get us through the next five hours, whatever it is. Uh, they lead to addictions and all kinds of problems, but they're not all bad. Now, here's level two, and we're going to go a little deeper. Set the plow a little deeper. Here's the next level of, of joys. We're going to call these investment joys. Investment joys. Now, these, these aren't the quick, easy in, easy out. These are the joys that take a little longer to work for. Some of you guys in here are working for a career. You're going to school. Some of you guys in here are working to become uh, successful in your business. Some of you guys in here are, are working to raise children. Some of you guys in here are working to um, whatever, save money so that you can get a, a house. Some of you guys are, are working to become a master in a particular area. These are investment joys, and they're very fulfilling. The crazy thing about these is that they, they often will allow you to let go of the shallower joys if it means you can get more joy later. Okay, so if I don't go through Dairy Queen now, I might not have a beer belly when I'm 40. Maybe. Okay, long, like it is long joy. I think the, the payoff later is going to be better. So, so sometimes we root our systems in these, these deeper joys of I'm thinking about later. Okay, think about things like running a marathon or lifelong career choice or having a successful marriage, investing in your marriage. This is good, right? These are good things. These joys take longer to produce. Um, and uh, often they give us the ability to sacrifice more shallow joys. These joys can oftentimes bring great camaraderie and communities are built around this joy. I love music. I invest myself in music and I have a community of people. We all invest ourselves in music. Here's the problem with these joys. The problem with these joys is that they enslave us very easily, don't they? Because, see, we're not just looking for that instant dopamine, instant gratification. We're putting all of our, our, our money in this bank of future pleasure. Someday I will achieve this place, and then I'll be happy. So you become enslaved to this idea of future theoretical joy. Someday I'll get married, and I'll be happy. Someday we'll have kids, and we'll be happy. Someday I'll retire, and we'll be happy. So you endear yourself, and you bond yourself to this future idea that's not reality. It's theoretical. And what that does is it creates this sense of pressure every day because you've put your joy roots into a future idea. The problem with that is that it's on you to create it, right? You got to go get that joy. You got to work for that joy. You got to hustle for that joy. You got to get up early for that joy, okay? And if you don't, who is to blame? Yourself. So you carry this weight of future joy, this yoke of future joy. So while it's deeper than the shallow joys, it's still a problem. It becomes our identity quickly, doesn't it? We can identify ourselves with what we think we will be someday. Yeah, I'm going to be a doctor once I get through my 10 years of school. I'm going to be really good at this once I learn. You know, it becomes our identity. We become enslaved to it. Here's level three. We have shallow joys. We have investment joys. Here's level three. And we're getting deeper. We're getting deeper. These are all, by the way, all three of these first levels, they're all human level joys. They're all things that you can produce completely on your own without God's help. Okay. Here's level three. Self-sacrificing joys. Deeper, right? This is things like living for the good of someone else. This is things like having a child and forsaking your sleep for that child, right? 
Not that I know anything about that. Yeah, so this, these are good things. This is forsaking your dreams and your comforts for others. This is good. This is noble. There's joy in that. Isn't there? Even the world knows there's joy in that. This is patriotic sacrifice, giving your life for king and country. We know that's noble. We know there's joy in that. We know it's good. We know it's to be praised. This could even look like serving Jesus. I do things for Jesus because it makes me happy. Good. That's deeper joy. That's deeper joy. Good job. The world knows that at some point, living for self is not satisfying. So you have guys like Bill Gates who has all the money in the world, and what does he do? He changes it up. Instead of making more money and making more computer chips, I'm going to start becoming a, phil- a, a philanthropist. Okay, And that's, that's good. So Bill Gates is teaching us something. He's teaching us that there's deeper joy in serving than there is in taking. Okay, And that's good. But here's the problem. It's still not enough, is it? See, we, we just assume that if I just lived a perfectly sacrificial life, I would be perfectly happy. Actually, no, you wouldn't. Because doing things for someone else, well, it is satisfying. It's not satisfying enough. It's not satisfying enough. Here's the problem with it. This joy still depends on your ability to produce it. I've talked to people before that um, found their identity in giving their life away on the mission field. It's noble. It's to be praised. Giving your life away. And I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't give your life away to the Lord on the mission field. But prob- the problem is when you start to find your identity in that, what happens when you have to move home because you're too old to be on the mission field? You're in crisis. Well, who am I if I can't give my life? What, 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 what value do I have? See, this joy is still contingent on your ability to create it. This joy is still contingent on your ability to give that away, to serve in that way. So it's still not enough. This joy can be tainted, can't it, by selfish motive? A lot of what we do to serve others is actually really about us. We give someone something because we want them to like us. We raise kids because we want the joy of having kids. That's good, but that's still actually not altruistic. It's still selfish in many ways. The parasite of sin, sin still sort of tends to get into this level of joy, doesn't it? Now, this may be the deepest level of joy a human can find on their own, but guys, listen to me. It's still not enough. I talk to people all the time that aren't Christians, and they go, you know, the point of life is just to, to take care of other people. And I go, yeah. What happens when you die? Who cares? If there's no God... If there's no eternal reward for that, if there's no reason to do that other than it makes you feel good in the moment, when you die, this world is still doomed. So what's the point? What's the point of that? It's, it's good joy, but it's not deep enough joy. By the way, this is what Jesus was talking about when he said that the, um, the, the kingdom is like a, a seed that goes into soils. Remember, he said some of the seed falls onto shallow soil with no root system. And because there's no root system, there's no nutrients, and the sun comes out and scorches it. And some of the seed bounces on top of hard soil, and a a bird comes and just picks it right up off the ground. Jesus was talking here about these levels of joy. He's saying if the good news, the, the, the dynamic power of the gospel, if it falls onto shallow soil, it cannot sustain you. Only this deep soil is the idea. So this brings us to level four. Level four joy is what I want to talk to you guys about this morning. Level four joy, listen to me, this is important. Level four joy is not something you can create. It's not something you can create. 
They're saying, well, then what are, you, what are you up here telling us for? We love books that tell us how to make things happen, don't we? Sam, give me three steps to total joy. Give me it. Here's my answer. You can't because it's not your joy. Let me, let me explain what I mean. Total joy, level four joy, complete joy, whatever you want to call it, is not sourced in creation. I was thinking about the Marvel movies, what makes them so interesting. You know, they're really just telling the same story over and over and over again. Some person ends up getting some kind of extraterrestrial power from some other planet. And what makes it interesting is seeing that power applied in the world that we all live in. Doctor Strange, whoever it is, right? It's a, it's a foreign reality to the world that we live in. So follow me. This joy that Jesus wants you, listen, you to understand today, this joy is extraterrestrial. You cannot find it in this world. So level three is as deep as you're ever going to go if you don't want to bring the Lord into this situation. Where am I getting this? Well, let's look at a couple passages. John 17, verse 12. John 17, verse 12. This just hit me right between the eyes the other day, and I just couldn't, couldn't not see it once I saw it. John 17, verse 12. Jesus is praying to the Father in the high, high priestly prayer. And look at what he says. John 17, 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am going to you, <clears throat> now I am going to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have, what? My joy fulfilled in themselves. Whose joy is it that Jesus wants to give? It's his joy. It's his joy. Let me show you another one. In case you don't believe me. John 16, uh, pardon me, John 15, verse 11. John 15, verse 11. This is, uh, Ryan walked us through this passage last week. This is where Jesus talks about abiding in the vine. He says, these things, 1511, I have spoken to you that, what? My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So here's what I want you to see. The joy that Jesus is talking about, this level four joy, it's his joy sourced through you. Isn't that cool? It, I want you to think about it like this isn't something I can find here. This isn't something I can resource here. This isn't something, there's no material in this world that can create this joy because this joy that Jesus is talking about, it exists, listen, it exists within the Godhead himself. This perfect joy existed before you and it will exist after you. What is Jesus wanting to give us? What is this joy he's wanting to give us? Listen to John 17, 26. Listen, he says, I made, he's talking to the Father. He says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Here's what Jesus is saying. He has come into this world with immense joy. What is his joy? It's not in his physicality. It's not in his career success. His joy is what? It is the intertrinitarian, eternal joy of the Godhead that he has in the Father. 
He comes into this world bringing this joy. His joy, his delight, his treasure is God the Father in that intertrinitarian love that exists within that Godhead. He comes to this world, he says, I want to pull you in to that extraterrestrial joy that does not exist in this world. Isn't that crazy? It's the Trinitarian life of God. So complete joy is receiving and treasuring the joy that is sourced in God himself. Now you're saying, Sam, who cares? Why does this matter? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what makes that joy the deepest joy in all of life. What makes this the deepest joy level? Number one, this joy is not self-attainable. And it's not self-sustainable. So therefore, and by self, I mean you. You can't sustain it. You can't create it. You can't keep it going. You can't, it, therefore, it's not losable. You can't lose it. See, this is what robs our joy oftentimes. And I hinted to it about the joke about the spoon hitting the bottom of the thing. The problem with joy in this world is it runs out. And it's up to us to create it. But the joy of God, the joy that is God, God is our joy, the joy that he has within the Trinity, it is not up to us to create it because it exists without us. Isn't that cool? That means that you can tap into this joy without having to do anything. It is not something you create. It is something you tap into. It is something you tune into. It's something you fill your screen with. The joy of who God is and what God, what God has done is in and of itself, it sits below our shallower joys. It is not temporal. It doesn't run out. It's eternal. So it's not disappointable. God is eternal. He's never ending. And because God is eternal, the joy of God himself is eternal. You cannot overeat at the buffet of who God is. This is why John Piper famously says he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Oftentimes we find shame in our joy because we know that we're often taking advantage of something for that joy or that that joy will run out. God is the purest source of joy. You know, he created joy. He created you with a joy longing. He created you with eyes that want to behold beauty. He created you with skin that wants to be touched and felt experiences. He created you with the desires for adventure and work and exploration. He created you with your senses and he created you with those because he wanted them to be satisfied and he wanted them to be satisfied in him. And everything that we ingest all week long or look at or, or take in or look for to make us happy. God says, yeah, you know why you like that stuff? Because I made it. He says, it's sourced in me. I made it up. The problem is we come at joy the wrong way. We go top down. We start with the first level. Then we go to the second level. And if we're lucky, we get to the third level. But in God's kingdom, it all flips upside down. Here's what gospel joy looks like. Don't lose me on this. Gospel joy looks like coming at those four layers from the bottom up. If God is enough for me, I get to give my life away, but I don't need anything from anybody. And see, that's where altruism and philanthropy and, and stuff, it's where, that's where it can't, it can't create that because you still want something from that person. If I'm satisfied in who God is, then I can give my life away and not need anything in return. I can receive the joy of service because my deepest joy is satisfied and rooted and grounded in who God is. And it's not changing. I can't lose it. It can't go away. It's satisfied. So if I start at the bottom and I work my way back up, I can enjoy the work 
joy. I can enjoy the, the, the joy of doing things, achieving things, working hard at things because I don't need to achieve something to be happy. I'm already happy. Now I get to go to work. Now I get to raise kids. Praise God. If it doesn't work out the way I want it to work out, I'm still joyful because my joy is not rooted in those things. See? I can go through Dairy Queen and I can have a blizzard. Praise the Lord, right? But when it runs out, I go, that's, that's not making me happy. It sounds silly, but it's true. I mean, it's true. God designed his people. He says, I want your joy to be complete, which means you start with feasting on who I am, creator over creation. If you get creator right, you get creation right. He throws it in. He says, I want you to have experiences. I want you to have uh, finances. I want you to have time and, 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 and touch and relationship and food and, and working hard and achieves. I want you to have all that. But if you don't have it all starting with me as your source of pleasure and source of joy, ultimately, all of it is vanity. It's all about where you start. It's like a telescope. You've got to look through the right end or everything looks totally weird. Gospel joy is treasuring and rejoicing the fact that we are being perfectly loved by perfection himself, even in the midst of our own imperfection. That is Christian joy. See, where the prosperity gospel goes wrong is it says, yeah, Christians should be obsessed with shallow joys. And we're going to believe that God's will is always to give us shallow joys. Actually, God loves you way too much to give you health, wealth, and prosperity. Did you know that? You ever meet a parent that gives their kid health, wealth, and prosperity? How's that, how's that kid? They're a nightmare. They're a nightmare. They think the whole world revolves around them. God does not hate his kids enough to give them the prosperity gospel. Whatever you want, son, just believe it. You want a new car? You got it, buddy. Good grief. God loves us so much that he does not want anything less for us than himself. Think about that. For God to give us, as Christians, anything less than himself, which is true reality, true glory, true joy, true treasure. He is the creator of everything we've ever enjoyed. To give us anything less than himself would be child abuse. Now, he allows us to feast on these shallow pleasures sometimes, but then he lets us get a stomachache. And remember, man, I just need him. He's a good father. He's a good God in this way. So what does it change in our life when we, we're rooted in deep joy, complete joy, full joy? What does it change in our life? First of all, it changes our decisions. It changes our decisions. A lot of people come to me as a pastor or even just as a Christian with conversations and say, I need, I need to stop sinning in this way. I have this sin, this problem. I can't stop sinning. And what we often do by nature is we, we say, you just need to try harder. You need to do more. You need to set up these guardrails. You need to set up these boundaries. And that's kind of true. But the real answer to how we stop sinning is not doing, it's believing. See, when we sin, we are choosing not to believe the gospel in that moment. So when you sin, I want you to remember, it's not that I've done something wrong. That's true. But before I did something wrong, I believed something wrong. Think back to the garden. Think back to original sin, okay? Adam and Eve sinned. Yes, they did that. But before they did that, they believed something. What did they believe? God is not sufficient for our needs, see? There's something God 
is holding out on us for, and that's really what sin does. See, sin says, God, I'm going to go around your nature, your truth, your holiness, and I'm going to take things into my own hand, and I'm going to choose to believe that the world's way is more satisfying than you. So at the very center, the very heart of our sin issue is a belief issue. Every sin is a failure to believe the gospel. Every sin. If we were believing the gospel, we would believe that Jesus in his way and his truth and his path is the superior riches. Because it is. When we are rooted in deep joy rather than shallow joys, we're not controlled by sin. We're not controlled by the senses. We're not controlled by inferior treasures. Because our treasure is hidden. Remember that parable Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A man went into a field and he found a treasure And the treasure, he was so overwhelmed with joy that he went home and sold everything he had and bought the whole field. Jesus is saying, that's what happens when you find the kingdom. That's what happens when you find out how valuable Jesus is. That's what happens when you find the joy of Jesus and who he is. See, that treasure is so valuable that you will sell everything, every sin. Everything that your eyes are feasting on during the week that's keeping you from true joy. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday on the sea. We are far, listen, we are far too easily pleased. We're far too easily pleased. The reason Christians are continuing To live in sin is not because we can't stop. It's because we are choosing to believe that that sin is actually what we want. We have not tasted the superior riches of God and the joy that comes when we are right with him. It's the greatest motivator in the world. John Piper said, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. When we dull our affections by feeding ourselves inferior joys, it takes away our affections from feeding ourselves on superior joy. Do you see how that works? What our world offers us is immense thousands, thousands of ways to satisfy ourselves for a moment on inferior joys. God says, if you trust me, if you open your eyes and look at me, if you see the treasure that I am, I am ultimate joy. So how do we get it is the question. How do we get down to this fourth level? And this is really important, okay? This is really important. You don't own it. You can't create it and you don't source it. It's God's joy. That's why, listen, this is important. That's why it's a fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. See, the fruits of the spirit are fruits of the spirit because they're fruits of the spirit. I know, I know, but seriously, like, like we, like, oh, love, yeah, like, I really like my boyfriend or girlfriend now, just fruit of the spirit. It's like, no, that's you, that's all you. Like, you know, yeah, you, you can produce a lot of love on your own, but you can't produce spiritual love. I'm not talking about 
you know, little uh, butterflies in your stomach, junior high romance. I'm talking about when your spouse cheats on you and you choose to stay with them. That's fruit of the Spirit because you can't produce that. Okay, I'm talking about somebody, somebody runs over your kid because they were drunk driving and you forgive them. That's fruit of the Spirit. It's the spiritual fruit. It's fruit that you can't produce. See, we think the Spirit exists to give us tinglies and, and make us feel good and, 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 and guys can roll around on the stage and, and concert arenas and, and talk about God said this, God that. No, the Spirit exists to produce fruit. And one of those fruits is the fruit of joy. Joy that you can't create, that you can't, you, you can't manipulate it. Well, Sam, if I can't create it, if it's not sourced in me, if it's God's joy, then how the heck do I get it? The answer is in John 15. The answer is in John 15. Jesus says this. He said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. So whatever these things are that Jesus just said, that's the key. Do you remember what the these things were in John 15? One word. Abide. 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 What does that mean? We talked about it last week. It means hold on. Let God's spirit take up residence in your life. Let God work in and through you. Cling to him like a branch clings to the vine. So you wake up tomorrow and you're not feeling joy and you're trying to think back, okay, what was that sermon that Sam said? Sam said something about joy. Uh, he said, I can't do it. Okay, well, he said, it's not sourced in myself. He said, there's no steps to doing this. Okay, well, what do I do? And we don't remember this one word. When you scratch your head tomorrow, try to remember what the heck I was saying. Abide. Abide. What does that mean? It doesn't mean go do something unless that doing something leads you to abiding. Here's what abiding means. It means you take your eyes off of what you're looking at and you look at him. And you say, God, I'm going to fill my screen with you. And then by filling my screen with you and getting perspective, I'm open to letting your spirit produce spiritual joy through me. That's what that means. Same is true. Love, joy, peace, patience, all these things. These are supernatural things, things that we can't produce. Patience, that's one I've been really struggling with. I really want to be more patient with my kids. And I keep trying, man. I'm trying and trying and trying and trying and trying. I'm like, man, I can't produce. Oh, it's just for the spirit, which means it isn't me beating my head against the wall saying, be more patient, dad. It's me coming to the Lord and saying, God, would you give me your spiritual patience? Because I don't have it right now. I don't. Lord, I'm depressed. I, I, could you give me spiritual joy? Could you give me the joy that is living within the Trinitarian Godhead that I don't even understand? Could you, like, a, I'm just a branch, Lord. Would you just produce that joy through me, like fruit? Would you do that? See, what that does is it puts you exactly where God wants you, helpless but not hopeless. It puts you in a place where you're, you're not self-helpism. You're not, well, I read this book on how to have joy. No, no, no. It puts you in a place of surrender that says, God, you need to produce your joy in me. I'm at your mercy, Lord. You know what that's called? That's called the Christian life. Christian life is where you constantly are disappointed with your own performance. So you come back to the Father on your knees, broken and humble, and say, God, would you please work your spiritual life through me? Because I can't do it. I suck at this Christian thing. You ever say that? I say that every day. I'm like, man, I'm a pastor. I suck at this. How can I be teaching anyone to do this? And then I remember, well, what you're supposed to teach them to do is to be an abiding vine, to be a branch, 
The way that we do that is we see the glory of God. We satisfy our hearts with who he is and what he's doing. So how do we get it? Let me just give you three things to think about. First of all, if you want to have this complete joy, step one, you got to be a Christian. You got to be saved. And here's why. Um, You can't delight in something that you don't own. See, all of this hinges on the fact that you've been granted access to the riches of heaven. As a Christian, you have been united with Christ, which means all of the riches of Christ are now yours. If you're not a Christian, those riches are not yours. So I beg with you, I plead with you, if you're looking for level four joy and you're not a Christian, you don't have it because you don't own the treasure that you delight in at level four joy. You have to become a believer. You become united with Christ. So first of all, salvation. How do we get it? Second of all, realization. We need to open our eyes to see the treasures that you have. You know, I could tell you uh, in actuality, I could say, hey, I set up a bank account for you. There's $5 billion in this bank account. Here's the debit card. Now, is that your $5 billion? Yes. You could leave and never pull anything out. That's what we do with the riches of gospel. That's what we do with the riches of Christ. Jesus is like, look at all this stuff that I gave you in me. This is a present reality. These riches, these treasures, these are yours. And then we go, okay, cool. And then we never think about them. We don't let the joy of them fill our heart. We don't let the joys of the reality of Christ and who he is and who he's become to us fill our heart. We do it all the time. So part of it is just simply allowing these riches to fill our lives so that we actually live in a way that we believe that they're there. That's why Jesus said, I've spoken these things so that your joy might be full. In other words, it's in the hearing of these things that your joy is made full. If you're never opening God's word, if you're never thinking about gospel truth, if you're never filling your mind with the treasures of heaven, you're not living in level four joy. You're not. You're feasting on the first three layers. The way that we access level four joy is by allowing those realities to fill our mind, fill our ears, fill our hearts. This is what Paul was praying in Ephesians 1, uh, verse 16. He said, I do not, to the Ephesians, he said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe? A Christian fully alive is a Christian whose heart is satisfied, whose mind is full with the riches and the realities of who God is and what God is doing. That is the place that we long to be. So you need salvation. You need, thirdly, you need determination. You know, this this joy for a believer, you can tune it out. You can ignore it. You can drink the swamp water of the world every day and not drink the rich well that Jesus said he had, living water from him. You cannot put his yoke on. It takes some level of determination. You know, joy in the verb form, you know what it is? Rejoice. It's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in what? Rejoice in the Lord always. You can choose to tune in to this joy as a believer. I love this quote uh, from St. Anselm in the 11th century. He said, God of truth, this is a prayer. God of truth, I ask that you may receive so uh, so that my joy may be complete. Until then, let my mind meditate on it. 
Let my tongue speak of it. Let my heart love it. Let my mouth preach it. Let my soul hunger for it. Let my flesh thirst for it. My whole being desire it. Until I enter into the joy of the Lord who is God three in one, blessed forever. Amen. Do you think about the joy of the Lord? Or are you content, as John Piper says, with apple pie? It's not that these inferior joys are worthless, but we want creator over creation. The cardinal sin of humanity throughout history has been idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is worshiping creation over creator. It is settling for what God has made over who God is. And what God is trying to teach us is he's trying to teach us to sink our roots deep. We are to be people as Christians that are not tossed around by hard things. Not fake, plucky, you know, I'm just happy all the time. Like, no, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people that root system are so deep that when storms come, we're okay. That's what this looks like. A couple of things of wisdom here. Look out for joy thieves. Joy thieves are these. Number one, mindlessness. How big is the God that you picture in your mind? That probably has a direct correlation to how much you read your Bible. If you read your Bible a lot, you're going to have a pretty big God in your mind. If you don't, then you're going to let the Western culture tell you who your God is. Your joy is increased when you fill your mind with the reality of who God is and what God has done. Another joy thief, trivialities, obsessing over things that are not eternal that don't matter. Number three, a joy thief is fatalism, assuming that God is not working all things together for your good. Number four, sin. Sin is a joy thief. It's a joy thief. Every time we sin, we are choosing to take our eyes off of God. You can't sin and look at God at the same time. You ever notice that? There's a God, hey, hold on a second. I'll come back. And then this crazy thing happens when you look down to sin, you go, ugh, I can't look at him. I can't, I'm ashamed. And that's why the gospel comes in and covers that shame so we can look at him. And then as we look at him, we go, you know, I don't really want that anymore. But don't take your eyes off of him. Sin is a joy thief. And lastly, avoidance. Avoidance. I didn't have time to look at it, but in John, um, you can look at it on your own. John 16, uh, Jesus says that your sorrow will turn into joy. Avoiding hard things is not how we become joyful. Sorrow, struggle, hardship is the access elevator to deep joy. Because why? Because when we go through sorrowful things, God is stripping back our inferior joys and showing us what ultimate reality is. Sorrow and ultimate joy are connected. They come in parallel. I'll just end with a story, and then we're going to break into some groups. Hopefully, this will bring all this together if this was too ethereal. Um, years ago, probably 10 years ago, I, or nine years ago, I, I was sort of the new associate pastor at a larger church. And Got, got the call from someone that went to the church that I didn't know very well that his wife was about to pass, older gentleman. They said, hey, could you send a pastor down to, um, to see this gal, pray with her, you know, before she goes. And so, so I, got the, I got the, hey, new guy, you're, you're up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, gosh, what do I do? Like, I'm like Googling, like, what do you say, you know? Um, so I had a plan. I was like, I'm going I'm I'm to go in, and I'm going to read this gal, 1 Corinthians 15, which is like go-to on the resurrection. Like, dude, this gal's about ready to pass out of this life into the next. She's a believer. I want to encourage her about future joy. Like, you're going to get a new body. This will be great. So, so I walk. I was terrified. I walk into the house, and there she is on her bed. 
And her husband gives me a big hug. He said, thanks for being here. And uh, so I went over to her bed, and I started just talking to her, and she could just kind of barely talk. And I said, hey, I just want, I have some good news for you. I just want to tell you, like, even when you pass, like, there's, there's joy to come. And she's like, yes. And, and you're, you're going to spend your, your eternity with the Lord. And yes, I'm giving her future joy, future joy, future joy. And she looked at me, and her eyes were so full of joy. But here's the crazy thing. Her eyes weren't full of joy because of what I just told her. Her eyes were full of joy before I got there. See, I was trying to tell her about how great things were going to be in heaven, which is true. And that is a delight of the heart of the believer. But her joy was already full. How do you explain that? How do you explain a woman whose joy is full? I mean, she was beaming. I can't even explain it. She was, some of you guys that have seen saints pass like, uh, like hours or minutes before, you know what I'm talking about. This peace just this peace, this joy. She needed nothing. She asked for nothing. She wanted nothing. She was fully satisfied as her body is rebelling and about to die. And here I am trying to tell her about the excitement of the resurrection. She's like, I'm good. What is that? Friends, that's Christian joy. That's level four joy. That's a woman that's like, I don't care about my body. I don't care about my long-term goals. I don't care about food right now. I don't care about successes. And that is, my friends, that's a sanctified woman. A woman that has graciously had God strip back inferior joys to the point where she now is just so rooted in level four. She's like, I don't care. The joy of the inner Trinitarian Godhead is mine. And yes, she's pumped about heaven. But she's just pumped to be there in that moment. Isn't that crazy? I just never forget that. What is it that that gal had? It's level four joy. It's complete joy, full joy. And you and I, if you're a believer, can have that. How do we have it? By tuning in, tuning in to the realities that are ours in Christ. The riches of Christ have been given to us as believers. And we can enjoy that now. Amen? Let me pray. I'll give us some instruction. God, thank you for joy. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to give us joy. Lord, I pray for this church family. I pray for myself. God, as we go this week, that we would not settle for the inferior pleasures of this world, that we would set our affections on the truly satisfying God, and that the riches of the gospel would become the ache of our heart. Lord, this world, it's got nothing for us. You have everything. So Lord, would you give us this joy? Make it complete in us. Fill us with this joy by your spirit as we abide in you. In Jesus' name, amen.